Hey, you're here with Ned Hennigan. You're listening to the Running Rugby Podcast. So at seven metres out, Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and, and a special welcome to Leo. Welcome back, mate. Decided to come back and join us this week. Yeah, mate. Why not? Uh, watched most of the rugby on the weekend. Got got pretty inspired. Looking forward to the June Test Series. So, back on board. Let's do this. <laughs> and speaking of the June Test Series, that brings us to our quick question of today. Um, will any of the Antipodean sides lose this Test Series against their visitors? So, just a... Uh, Update, we have South Africa versus England, Australia versus Ireland, and New Zealand versus France. What do you think, boys? Anyone has a chance of losing? I mean, I can't actually see any one of these Southern Hemisphere sides losing. I think maybe, it's sad to say, but I think the Wallabies probably have um, the best chance of dropping their series against Ireland just because of the form of Ireland. Um, they've been training together, I think, for a number of weeks now following the, you know, the club competitions wrapping up. And so they've had that extra time together. I think that'll play a big part. Um, and plus, they, they're quite an experienced team coming off that big Six Nations together. Um, and the Wallabies, I think, only have about a week to prepare, so maybe even less. It's going to be a big challenge for the Wallabies, but, you know, it's whether they can get a good start in that first game and then you know, build into the second and third games because I think if they drop behind in this series, it's going to be very difficult to catch up. Yeah, I agree with that. The the reduced preparation compared to the Northern Hemisphere teams coming down is a bit of a worry and and it will be a real, real dogfight in that second test if we've already dropped the first. South Africa versus England, you've got a mixed bag in the South African side. We were talking earlier about like mixed experience not looking like a whole lot of combinations they they've gone chasing after for their starting lineup so maybe England and their experience and they're, they're not a bad team they're on a bad run but they're not a bad team um, maybe they can upset the South Africans but it is amazing how every player lifts and and they do gel pretty quickly once they get back into their national camp and um, but, but I think the Australians versus the Irish has got to be a good first game set the tone and defend near their little tricky set piece that they've probably been training for the last four four weeks. Yeah, and then compared to that, you have New Zealand and France, and you look at the team France is bringing down, probably a slightly under-strength squad from them, uh, missing a few key players, and you'd expect New Zealand probably to have a bit of fun against um, the Frogs and probably take that pretty, pretty easily. I was gonna, just going to say, yeah, on South Africa, a bit of a weird sort of squad. You have a lot of... Um, uncapped players and then you have these few sort of players coming in from Europe like Bismarck Duplessis and Faf de Klerk and it will be interesting to see how they slot in whether they do make the starting lineup like Faf de Klerk's their only halfback that's actually got a cap by the Springboks they've just put in a couple other debutants otherwise yeah it's uh, 
With Sabri, it's one of those funny situations where they do bring in a lot of players from overseas that aren't in Super Rugby, and I think the Wallabies probably have to be mindful of that and and kind of learn from the mistakes that Sabriga is kind of going through, um, because they just need to have those combinations in place in in some areas of the team, um, and I don't see, you know, even though these guys that are coming in are very very good players, um, a lot of the time they're playing in France, um, and the standards a little bit lower. Um, so I think it does hurt them, you know, in the international stage and particularly early on in the season when they haven't had that time together. Um, I know we said the Wallabies are going to go through that too, but at least we've got some combinations there in Super Rugby that are very strong. Um, and a lot of these guys are still very experienced in the Wallabies setup. So I still think that Sauver are going to have some growing pains initially and be a bit rusty it's just whether England can kind of front up and, and get some dominance after their four-game slide, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, look, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. We'll, we'll review all these games that come through. Of course, South Africa has a game versus Wales in Washington um, next, um, this weekend before they start that um, trooper, that test series against England. But let's have a look at the weekend in rugby. Match report, round 15. And starting on Saturday night, we'll start with the Rebels versus Sunwolves. And the Sunwolves um, end their winning streak. Um, Rebels coming out and hitting a bit of form versus probably an understrength Sunwolves team, you would say. They lost a few of their Japanese international players, but Rebels winning this 40-13. to 13. I thought the Rebels looked pretty good in this. Uh, the, they were happy to have... Dane Hallett Petty back, although I didn't think he looked quite as fluent as he did before he was uh, out for injury. Um, and the defense was a little bit loose from both sides, but the Rebels looked, to me, surprisingly fluent with Hodge at 10. I, I just never saw him as a 10. He doesn't look like a really finesse kind of uh, playmaker, but he does actually slot into that position pretty well, and that gave Meeks and, and England some... Some pretty uh, English, sorry, some pretty good ball, and then they they finally got their their back row with a good mix of of skills. So Fainga was in there, Pilfering, Cotterill in there, contesting as well. A bit of ball movement out of all three of them. Murphy dominant again. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty pretty good performance. Probably too many penalties. That's saying that other teams will definitely make more and more advantage out of if they if they can't contain their discipline for some better sides. Yeah, I think um, Philip and Coleman as well were massive in this game for for the Rebels, and and obviously Murphy, Murphy just continues to kind of put these performances together. Even when the team goes missing around him, he just seems to carry them. But in this game, he was just in everything as we as we expect now, and um, you know really set the tone for that forward pack. Um, but their backline, yeah, they looked really good, um, good shape to them, playing with some more depth and. You're right, Lee. I don't think Hodge is a natural. Like I, knew, I know he used to play ten in in high school or or early on in his career, but I think that you know that's not his best position. I think for now it kind of is helping the Rebels, but yeah, they really need to decide who's going to be that long-term playmaker at ten. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. like it's going to be Debrusini, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think overall they looked a lot better in shape. They had Naivalu with a good contribution off the bench. Um, and again, Maddox scoring tries, Corabidi scoring tries, and that's what you want to see. This is back to kind of earlier season performances that the Rebels were putting together, and it's good to see. Yeah, I think it's a little bit hard to take too much away from this game just because it was an underpowered Sunwolves team. 
you guys have both said that you don't mind Hodge at 10. I still think that he, he looks to run before he looks to pass, I think, a little bit. And he does sometimes get sucked into that breakdown, which is it's probably more just a fact that he hasn't been playing 10 a bit, but probably needs to aim up a little bit and more look to distribute early and then look to run maybe later on in games. Um, he does enjoy taking the ball into contact a little bit. It's the only thing I noticed sort of pretty early on. I think that is true, Arch. And I I honestly think, though, that because he actually looks to run forward, direct, and go straight, rather than what Debrasini was going, where he was going sideways and just being very lateral, I think that actually helped the Rebels, you know, a fair bit, even though perhaps, you know, there are situations where Hodge needs to offload it more quickly. I think just the, the general fact that he's moving forward like that actually really assisted their back line. It's still in the in how sort of when they're making the decisions to do it though, because if you if he's known to other teams as a more of a ball running ten, that just means they have to put real defenders on him. And that creates options out wide because you've drawn in that little bit more of the defense. And if you can exploit that, then you can make something out of it. Alternatively, you have a fly half who rarely takes it up, which means they don't tend to mark him out, um, tag him in defense. And then he, again, makes good decisions, throws ball, throws ball. Oh, this time they've really left it all wide open and they run through. So it can work both ways. And it's not, it, but I agree with Toby, it's definitely a, a good thing that someone's straightening up that attack because running cross-field and, and closing down the space for all the Rebels' exciting backs was was never helpful. I think Bernard Foley tends to strike a pretty good balance with that in terms of taking it to the line, but you know not being predict- predictable in the fact he's going to run it every time. Hodge obviously is not used to that. He needs to have more time at 10 if they're going to persevere with that at all. Um, but yeah, I think I'd really like to still see Jack Maddox in terms of, you know, is Someone made a comparison to Bowden Barrett. He could be that type of player if he gave him enough time at 10, just because he has this, the pace, you know, the natural try-scoring ability, good pass on him. Um, and, yeah, he just seems to make good decisions. So it would be really nice to see Jack Maddox get some time at 10. Um, we keep saying it, but I don't think it's actually going to happen this season, mm-hmm. and I don't think it really factors in how the Wallabies are going to use him. So um, I think for the, for this season at least, we're going to see him at fullback or on the wing. Um, but next year, yeah, it'll be see, interesting to see how Vessels kind of utilises him going forward. Yeah, that's right. And I think we all expect to see Hodge probably not be at 10 for the Wallabies. He'll probably be a little bit further out unless they suffer some injuries. Next round, uh, the Rebels head over to Auckland, take on the Blues, and the Sunwolves are staying in Australia. They're heading to Canberra. Um, but on Saturday afternoon, we had the Chiefs versus the Waratahs. Uh Initially very close, Waratahs with two pretty early tries in the game up until half-time, only trailing by 19-14. But in the end, Chiefs run away with it. Score a bit of a blowout due to McKenzie's sort of late try after the final whistle, but Chiefs winning this one 39-27, denying the Tars a bonus point. I thought the Tars looked really fluent in their attack uh, when, when they were making good runs and, and scoring points. They, they look like that that uh, really dominant Tars attack that we've, we've seen on and off, but they still haven't quite uh, kept that going for a full half of, of rugby. Uh, and they made some rash decisions in defence and, and coming out of defence. So things like Tekeli rushing up, basically trying to intercept the ball um, on the try line 
line and then McKenzie just had to throw it short. Retallick falls over. Like that's that's just a bad decision. You shouldn't be trying to rip off intercepts in that situation. He could have easily just marked up on Retallick. And then um, also that we we tried to play out of defense, but we didn't really have the the correct mindset. The guys just threw it as wide as they could. That one person hits it up, everyone in the vicinity went and cleared out, and the ball's just sitting there. The Chiefs pick it up, and a couple offloads they've scored. So things like that where we where we didn't really secure the ball and we didn't think defensively first uh, probably opened the door for the Chiefs, who didn't look dominant. Um, it feels like a bit of a lost opportunity. I, I think they'll probably be um, feeling a bit bitter about that one. They definitely could have held them out. You held them out one, even one of those two tries, and then and then you obviously avoid the the freebie at the end. Then you potentially got a, another win against the New Zealand team. It's another another case of not not quite there. Like just mm, woulda, coulda, shoulda. <laughs> yeah, I yep. mean, look, it's it's one game out of four over New Zealand teams, but it's probably you know three of those as we were talking about. Um, could have been one, and that's that's one of the things that's most frustrating. The Tars are playing quite well. They're just not quite closing these games out. Um, another hot start by them as well. And then, you know, they seem to have this habit of letting the Kiwi teams, you know, come back into the picture after they score. They let in another try, you know. Like, it doesn't even seem to, you know, they don't have that kind of ascendancy for, for long at all, um, which is, is, is frustrating. And I think Gibson... Daryl Gibson would be pretty, um, you know, he'd take a bit out of this performance, but he'd also be disappointed because I think, again, like the Blues game, we could have won this game. Um, and it is tough winning away from home. Like, I think we have to remember that. They're playing in New Zealand. It hasn't been easy winning over there in the last few years. And, um, you know, we've got to put it in context. If this was in at Allianz Stadium, I think they probably would have got the win. Um, I just think that home ground advantage does play its part. Um, and the Tars just, yeah, they weren't clinical enough. Um, they left too many points out there. And I think Bernard Foley was a bit off with his kicking as well, wasn't he? Yeah, a couple of misses by him. But the thing that got me, like, just as you're saying, the Tars continually conceding points straight after scoring. And I was going back and having a look, and you had, you know, Rona scores our second try. Four minutes later, Retallick's going in under the posts. Beale scores in the second half, gets us moving again. Then Pulu scores off that box kick where with no one sort of back, and that's another four minutes later, and it just seems to be continually happening. Happening, we get a little bit of ascendancy, and then we just take the foot off the gas just a little bit and just let that team straight back in and lose it all, lose that all momentum-wise, and you just see people's heads sort of drop. Yeah. I, was, I think that's the same sort of thing that they're they're lapsing mentally, like they make these decisions in defence where. You know, it's a one-out thing, but it's it's not it's not a good decision in the context of the game. The way the game's flowing, you've just put on two tries. Don't you don't need to go rip an intercept off on your line. You need to hold out, and if you can keep the Chiefs away from scoring points, or, or maybe just having to take a penalty, and you're sitting at fourteen or seventeen to three, like that that's a huge statement. Whereas if you you score two tries and then you think, oh, well, now I can run up for an intercept, like. Yeah. You'd suddenly it's back to 14-7 and, and the Chiefs feel like they're straight back into it. They've wrestled the momentum back. And th- that's that's the sort of thing which it's maybe it's not a... I don't think it's at a team. I don't think they're all playing like that. Maybe it's certain people at certain times. But they're just not... They haven't got that sort of cohesion and holding their momentum together and they're maybe not aligned in what their plan is. If we get up early, 
this is what we're going to do. They don't have that plan. I feel like you're targeting Ten Kelly a little bit with that, um, going for that intercept. You know, there were like three three Chiefs players outside him as well. Like they were going to score there. I don't think that's the reason they scored. Yeah, but well, there's that. There's that. And if I was going to pick on someone else, I'd pick on Staniforth because he he let Pulu walk over as well in a similar I way. Like he missed that. a one on one tackle, which he which he ran up too hard, um, and. Uh, the, all, those sorts of little things that are like it's it's never not trying to focus on an individual but it, it's just a mindset thing if you think that's the right thing to do um to try and pressure that attack when when you're probably better off just making sure you you get some contact wrap the ball up even if the guy's basically walking over the line just make sure you get on the ball give yourself a chance to hold it up i think the intercepts a pretty low percentage play charge i mean i mean let's talk about some positives in this game i think Someone who really impressed me was Curtis Rona, um, who continues to kind of build on some of his performances and mm. look dangerous with ball in hand. We've got to remember in the NRL, I think, you know, he was the leading class scorer in the NRL. So that's part of the reason I think we'll talk about this later, why I think he should be in the Wallabies squad without question. Um, and he doesn't tend to make too many, you know, mistakes in defense either. Um, so I think he's a real asset for the Waratahs, and it's he's been a really good buy for them. He he combines really well with Curtly Beal, um, with Israel Falau, and also Foley, um, and just looks like he looks quite at home in that backline. So I've been really impressed with him. Yeah, he's strung a couple of weeks together. Definitely, um, their backs are firing. I I mean, it's the cliche thing. I think a bit when we're talking about the Waratahs at the moment, but it seems like the issues are mainly with the forwards and a lot of this time and a lot about just holding back forward packs that are starting to get their roll on and just holding them out in sort of defence and then starting to get a little bit of go forward. But um, also a few kicking woes, yeah, like you were saying, um, just exiting and in general play, their kicking just wasn't that great. Uh, And I think it's something Mm. we'll probably talk about in the next game versus the Reds as well. Um, Very similar, just giving these New Zealand teams these opportunities to counter-attack. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, so let's let's start talking about the the Reds. So they took on the Highlanders Saturday evening up at Suncorp. Um, the Highlanders without Ben Smith didn't start a few people, like Aaron Smith there either, um, had Liam Squire off the bench. Um, and they kept it very close, sort of, it was, what, the 77th minute or so, and it was 15 all, and then... Finally, Sopoanga kicks a penalty and takes it 18-15, and that's how it stayed. The Reds just going down with a bonus point. Yeah, and this might be a bit of a story of the Red season. You know, a lot of good defense. Um, with these Highlanders guys out, they should have won this game, I think. They, they really had an opportunity to, to capitalize on that. Um, again, they couldn't score, you know, more than 15 points. It's been an issue we've talked about on a number of our shows. Um, but their their defence continues to be impressive, and they do rattle teams up front with their physicality. So, mm. you know, there are the building blocks there, and I think you know we do keep talking about this: the fact that you know they're building for future years. Um, and I think someone like Hamish Stewart is a great guy to build around in the fly fly half role. Um, we want him to swap around with Jono. We want kind of to build that combination. I don't know if it's going to be with Ben Lucas but it might be with Saravi or Tuttle. Um, but this McDermott. forward pack is... Yeah, McDermott. Yeah, even McDermott as well. Yeah, they love McDermott. And, yeah, people are really high on him as well. So they've got some talent there. 
they got some good young backs as well, um, which can kind of be in combination with Karevi and some really physical forwards. So there's a lot, lot of good things with the Reds. They just don't seem to be able to score the points at the moment. Yeah, I agree. Their defense was really strong. Um, the the Highlanders did uh, try and sort of exploit Hamish Stewart a little bit, trying to kick him behind him, and then just looking for those turnovers in the set piece and and in general play. And and I think the Reds really fed them more ball than they should have. Like mm. uh, again, I don't, not 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 really wanting to pick on someone, but I thought Ben Lucas made some really rookie decisions in this game. Like. Lots of box kicks, but seemingly no communication, no chases. Uh, and then the forwards are running hard, eating lots of pick and drive phases, but we're really slow recycling the ball. So he's not, he's not, you know, screaming at them. You know, want the quick ball. You know, get get, be more efficient at the ruck. Like the, the forwards can do that. They've done it time to time. But the halfback needs to be there driving that, saying, "Come on, boys, focus on getting the ball to me quickly. We're getting a roll on here. We need to get a ball, ball wide to the backs." And then in those expansive phases that they get into third fourth fifth phase um the they again they lost a bit of structure became a bit one out and that gave the highlanders opportunities for turnovers so there's a lot of good stuff there but i i feel like ben lucas had a bad game and maybe mismanaged a bit of the attack gave away a bit of possession and and all of that was happening early in the game early in the second half and the first half and then you get someone like aaron smith comes on and he's the ultimate general he tells his guys exactly where he wants them. He's screaming at them the whole time. And you see them all lift and the, the structure comes together and they get themselves down the correct end of the field to be kicking a penalty and win the game. Yeah. You saw Kane Hamilton go down and in your head, you're, first off, you're like, oh, yeah, they lost the halfback. That's that's probably good for the Reds. But then you you see Aaron Smith jog on and you're like, this is not going to go well for us now. This is literally the last person you would want to see jogging onto the field when this you're so in a tight-fought game. Exactly what you want. Just inject a bit of experience and, and that guy standing behind the ruck screaming at everyone, mm. setting the defense. Like you, you put that, you put Aaron Smith in the Reds from the first minute and I, I just reckon that game plays out really differently for the first 40. Um, so, yeah, that's... I still I, Ben Lucas has had a couple of good games at at half, but I, I, I want to see these younger guys. I think I want to see, I still don't know really where Tuttle is, but even McDermott, I know he's away with the under 20s. Um, I, I just don't think Ben Lucas is quite aligned to the rest of the team, whatever that, whatever he was trying to do on the weekend. Yeah, no, I mean, he's not a specialist nine. Um, he's a little bit slow to the breakdown, looks a bit passive, makes some poor decisions with his box, kick, box kicks. And mm. yeah, I, I don't see, you know, a future in him being there at number nine for the Reds, particularly past this season. So someone like Sarovi, I think, has some potential um, more in the Will Genia mould, and I think you could, you know, build him up to something, whether it be a future guy that's coming off the bench or a starter. Um, you know, Tuttle was playing quite well at the start of the year. I think he's still dealing with injury. But, yeah, they, they need to kind of start building towards the future a little bit more, um, whether that means dropping some more games I, I think that's kind of, you know, something that they just need to focus on and not really worry about too much where they finish in the table because, you know, they're not going to make the finals. We know that. So they're really playing for pride at this point. And I think if they look towards the future a bit more, that that would be pretty helpful. Yeah, and speaking of looking towards the future for these guys, the 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 talent they've unearthed with some of these young wingers that between playing like Patea and Parisi on the wings in this game, 
you saw a lot of firepower. I know we've really enjoyed watching Dalgunu play in recent weeks, but these two boys, they're going to be good for years to come. Yeah, and I think Parisi could even factor into the Wallabies squad um, for this June series. I'm not sure exactly, you know, whether he'll get much game time, but Checker really likes him. He's high on him, and I think that, um, you know, even though he hasn't played a lot for the Reds this year, um, you can see the potential that he has. And I think, you know, it's similar to the, the type of guy that Jack Maddox is. That they're, they're keen to really, you know, build towards, you know, bringing these guys in the Wallaby, Wallaby squad that they know, you know, are high-level players. Um, you know, we've seen Jack Maddox be so consistent this year. You know, he's, I don't think he's missed a game. He's um, no. played really well every week. Whereas Parisi's had a bit more time off with the injury, but I, I still think that the Wallabies can use someone like him out wide. So, you know, if you look at our outside backs, there's there's plenty of talent going around at the moment. Mm, and you're right, Arch. I think, yeah, the the Reds have a lot to, you know, I think they've added a lot of value, value to the Wallabies. Like, I think that Brad Thorne, by blooding these players, um, is really going to help us towards the World Cup next year. Mm, he's done a good service to Checker, I think, in that mould. Yeah, he's given sure. some like real discussions around some positions which we weren't having before. You just kind of picked the last guys to do it because you knew they could kind of do it. But now we've got some real con- contests for positions. It's excellent. Yeah, which one? Yeah, exactly. Let's move on to the final um, Australian game, and out of Loftus Versfield, Pretoria, the Brumbies, and it was a story of overcoming obstacles. I think this game, overcoming the poor um, record they've had this season, overcoming a red card overcoming the travel, but the Brumbies, they turned it on and even with 14 men managed to finish out this game and take a win on their South African tour, beating the Bulls 28-38. to And the Bulls actually looked pretty slick early on. Uh, they didn't keep it going uh, and the Brumbies did sort of hold out and, and then lift themselves out of a bit of a funk and I think that's sort of predicted, I don't know, I'm not going to say we predicted this, but we did mention before they went away that if things didn't go well, there's two ways it could go. The heads go down and they and they kind of give up and just play it out. Or maybe they find some of that freedom to throw the ball around and, and just have a crack and, and relax a bit because the expectations of, of winning aren't really there. So it felt like that sort of happened in this game. They they went down some points. Maybe they felt, oh, well, you know what, let's just let's just have a have a crack at everything, not take take as much and many shots as we can, defend well, and we'll see how we go. And guys like Godwin, I thought, played well. Powell had a better game, started sniping around the ruck, which got them a try. Um, the, it was disappointing for Laufeinger's red, but um, again, in, impressive that the Brumbies managed to keep it all together for, I think it was about, there's at least 12 to 14 minutes worth of game remaining when that happened. Yeah. So that's that's not a, at the end of the game, that's a, that's a, Tough, tough challenge to, to stay focused and, and keep the balls out. Um, and score two tries. So, and score two tries. And that, that came off a bit of individual brilliance from Banks, who, who looked really good. And then they uh, they kept it tight in the forwards and managed to release it out wide to Muirhead. And, and that's a Brumbies style, which was um, pretty recognisable. So, yeah, no, really, really good win for them. They'll, they'll come back feeling like they've, they haven't had a a failed tour they've got something out of it they might be sort of out of the running now but that's that's a good bit of temperament and and um alignment that they can they can hold their heads high that they manage to do that in pretoria 
Yeah, let's. I mean, let's not underestimate the value of that win. I mean, at, at altitude in South Africa, that's a very, very difficult place to win, um, particularly when you get that red card, which I think, you know, to be fair, he did, you know, you could call that a headbutt. I don't really, I wouldn't say it was serious enough for a red card. I thought it was unnecessary, definitely a yellow. Um, but look, they were just fronting up to each other. You could see the guy that actually took the headbutt didn't even react at all, wasn't hurt, you know, by it. Um, but it was a, a bit silly by Falafanga. So, you know, it's it's lucky they didn't drop this game because of that. They managed to just hold in and, and capitalize still. So I think, yeah, the Brumbies, look, the pressure's off. They can look to build towards next year. They've just signed Pete Tim, uh, Pete, Pete Samu. They've just signed, yeah, they just signed Pete Samu, like you said, Arch. So that's a that's a pretty big coup for a, a team that's already got Rob Valentini. Hopefully they retain Pocock. I don't know if he's on a two-year contract or not, but they've got Nicerani as well. So pretty strong back back row for next year um, with Samu coming in. Um, something tells me that Czechs had a pretty big hand to play in this one, though. Yeah, pulled some of his old connections out of um, Randwick. Uh, coached him about uh, five or six years ago, I think, back in Randwick. Um, or maybe even longer than that, it must be. But he's seen this kid sort of back at club level. Um, he knows that uh, he's gone in and I think had a bit of a chat to him. And um, I suspect you'll find that he's named in that Wallaby squad, as we sort of alluded to earlier. But going back to this game, yeah. the the person I think that we need to sort of contribute this win, at least in part to, um, is Scott Seo, who put an absolute masterclass in scrummaging on against the young Bulls um, tight head and just was all over him. And he showed a lot of maturity as well because you could hear him in some of the stoppages actually talking to the talking to the ref and sort of discussing what was going on and really just showed that he had the temperament and stuff to get sort of on the ref's shoulder a little bit about this and it worked out that, that he just got the penalties. And it just, it was lovely to see an Australian team absolutely dominating a South African team in the scrum. And yeah, and then taking over the win, even with a player down, it's something that we normally expect to happen to Australian teams, not by Australian teams. Yeah, for sure, Arch. And I think CO now, I mean, with Slipper having this issue off the field, um, you know, being done for for cocaine use off the field twice, Mm. um, you know, Scott CO is someone that's going to be there at loose head for the Wallabies now. Um, and it brings Tom Robertson into the frame as probably his reserve there. But, you know, CO, really good to see he's coming into form. And I think there's been a few guys actually that have been stepping up in the last two to three weeks um, with this Irish series on the horizon. I think they're actually really rising to the occasion and, you know, forcing Checker's hand in some respects to, to pick them. Um, you know, I don't think there was much doubt that CO was going to be left out, but you know he's fully in the frame now to be to be the starter, one of the first guys picked, I think, um, which is great to see because he offers so much around the field as well. All right, let's quickly zip through some of these other games that we have on for the weekend, and we'll start the other New Zealand derby down on Friday night in the battle at the top of the table, and the Crusaders took one over the Hurricanes, and look, we we sort of tipped the Canes then with the Crusaders being a bit. Um, under the weather, losing a few props, but with the wet weather, the, the Crusaders showed 
what they can do in this competition and really showed up the Hurricanes a little bit in this. Tightly fought, no points scored for the first 20 minutes or so, which is unusual in Super Rugby, but the Crusaders taking this. Uh, three tries to one, 24-13. You guys tipped the Hurricanes. This guy tipped the Crusaders. I wasn't paying attention to anything last week, but at least I got that tip right. And the weather definitely helped. Like, that's absolutely suited the Crusaders more than the Hurricanes. And those guys are the chess masters. Everyone else is playing checkers. They are playing chess. They are just dominating the strategic, tactical play in these games. There's strong defense. Their forward play was not not expansive, but just reliable. And Moanga was really great. And the Hurricanes just tried to push the ball around like they normally do. They got behind. They just kept trying harder and harder to play their normal style, and it did not work. So this is, this is why I reckon you can still bank on the Crusaders uh, in the, in the, the tactical game to, to beat any team. Like if it, maybe it's different if it's dry and the hurricanes get a, get a bit of uh, roll on early, but the creative Crusaders is always going to be competitive all the way through the 80th minute. Yeah. And let's remember they were still missing Kieran Reed and, you know, a real linchpin in their back line in Ryan Crotty. And two so this is a massive win. Yeah, of course. I mean, they've still got guys like Michael Alatoa starting, so I'm not really going to give them too much. Um, Crockett. You know. Yeah, they've still got two world-class props starting for them, so I don't think that was much of an excuse. But if they did lose this, I mean, they could have just said, oh, look, we didn't have Crotty, we didn't have these guys. But they never hide behind any excuses. They front up every week. Their coach is one of the best in the, in the game in Super Rugby. Um, and you're, you're just right, Leo. Like, they just... You know, outthought the Hurricanes. They knew what to bring to the table. They knew when to keep it tight, and their forwards were dominant. So, look, I think if if this was played on a dry track in a neutral venue or at Hurricanes' home ground, I think the Canes would have taken it. But the Crusaders, look, they played the way they had to play. They played to the, the conditions, and you know, you can take nothing away from them. They're just a a classy outfit that knows how to win. That's it. That's all you can really say. These teams are. Very close on on their day, but the Crusaders definitely had the had the chops on the Hurricanes this today, and I I, I wonder how significant that will be because we suspect these guys will probably meet somewhere in the playoffs if if the final potentially, um, whether that mindset the momentum Crusaders take out of this one might help them you know clinch this whole competition. Yeah, I think it'll have an effect in terms of just, you know, knowing that you can win without some of your key guys. That that does have kind of a psychological effect on the other team because the Hurricanes were pretty much at full strength. Um, and on paper, they looked like they were going to dominate. But yeah, look, what can you say, mate? They just, Crusaders are just, they keep rolling every year. They just keep mm. rolling. I got a question. I, don't, I know this is looking a long way ahead, but in the finals, if we've got eight teams and the top four teams uh, win their first games, presumably the Hurricanes and the uh, Crusaders will be one at number one and number four in those rankings as yeah. the top top team and the top wildcard team. Yeah. Does that mean that they would be if if the top sort of favoured team kept winning, would they they wouldn't make the final together? Would they? They they'd have to play each other in the semi. Uh, Possibly. I think so. It depends Possibly. whether they, yeah, if they see it, which they should, that's how they've like ranked them out, the top winners of the yeah, one to three, yeah. and then the next peak should be four. It might mean that Crusaders play the Hurricanes 
um in i haven't i haven't thought round. about it that hard before but i think i think it will work out like that because then it's interesting that if you've got a really strong conference you actually pit those two if, if the strong teams keep winning you pit those two against each other every every year like you you get the top two teams or you know if you've got a really strong conference you've got the top new zealand team and another strong new zealand team they're almost it's actually yeah. keeps I was, diversity. I was doing a little bit of studying out for the finals because I was having a look mainly to see whether we could squeeze the Rebels into the finals, which I think we can. But it pretty much means um, whoever's last place is probably coming up versus the Crusaders um, in Canterbury, which is a tough game. Whoever's second last is going to be taking on either the Lions in Joburg or if the Hags pull something out, the Haguaris in South America. And I was just wondering, which of those would you actually prefer, even out of all three of those? I think I'd almost want to give myself a better shot. I think I'd have a better shot going into Canterbury, maybe, because of just the travel extent. I can't imagine, like, a Rebels team flying to South America or flying to South Africa having any chance of success. So I want to lock them into the eight position rather than the seven, because the seven will probably (laughs) be the other South um, African or the... Haguar is sort of team and so they'll knock each other out and then the other two will be the New Zealand team the Chiefs and the Highlanders in the middle interesting (laughs) interesting we'll see what happens yeah let's jump forward to Saturday morning and the Haguaris we were just talking about in the Sex Panthers keep rolling and they rolled right over the Sharks this week Um, they just continue to improve they have such massive crowds when they're back at home and they're just now putting together this amazing sort of attack and they're not suffering from the handling errors or the errors they used to. The Hagiwara is winning this 29-13 uh, to 13 with a hat-trick to Moyano on the wing. Please tell me that they have a 60% win percentage, Arch. Please 60% of the time, they work every time. Right, they're, they're, on, they're on form. You know, I actually thought the Sharks would take this one out. I thought the Sharks had enough talent there to get it done, and I thought the... The Hags were due a, a due a loss, but they keep rolling, and it's you know, it's 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 really good to see this because they've had the talent for a few years now, and they've just been inconsistent. And look, you can't take anything away from them at the moment because um, they've they've been on tour, they've you know got the wins they needed to get, and now they're putting together you know back to back to back wins at home, and it's just they're going to be a real threat in the finals, like we were just talking about. And we can't even say that they're just home home ground bullies. Like they've had those four away wins, um, stellar tour, and then they've kept backing it up. And they just they just look more mature, and and they're keeping real discipline, um, which which was their real early struggle. They couldn't seem to avoid getting a bit emotional and just getting a bit flighty. But uh, like Sanchez just looks really mature. Like he's right there in the middle of that line, just just calling all the plays and and giving great service. Um, that that skillful finesse that the the Hags bring when they're not fumbling the ball when they when they link it all up the Fellies just bursting through the line all over the place the wing is really classy um, the the Sharks just sort of brought their brawn and didn't really do anything with it I thought um, Robert Dupree looked really looked off he didn't look slick at all in this game I think he's had better games than this this year. And they were just running big lumps at the Hags, and the Hags just defended well, got their share of the ball, and did a lot more with it. 
I can confirm that the the Sex Panthers have a winning percentage currently of sixty one point five percent. So they're exceeding yeah, expectations, buddy. Archie. Yeah, it's made with bits of real panther, so you know it's good. It's quite pungent. They've done studies, you know. Sixty percent of the time, it works. Every time. You guys got to start tipping them. I do tip them. I yeah. keep tipping them. Just all the other teams I have trouble with. But <laughs> next thing you have to do, Arch, you, have, you, have, you just have to buy a jersey now. Which one do you get? The black one or the orange one? I like the black one, man. I like it. It's because it's almost yeah, like go it's black. got like the Argentinian like stripes, but it's like they've just like blackwashed it. Like it's good. But that's the yeah, thing. Yeah. Like for these boys, everyone else going on this international break, um, and this team is. A lot of the core players are staying together and they're going to be playing together for the next three uh, or four weeks and then they're going to come back to Super Rugby. So they're not exactly going to suffer that much from having people away from the squad and things. They're just going to reinforce a lot of these combinations and I think it's really going to help them when they come back. Do we know who Argentina's playing against? Have they got Scotland or like a mixed bag of Islander teams or something? They've got a mixed bag. Um, They are playing um, Wales, I know, in two weeks. Um, Yeah, they've got... So they've got Wales, two games against Wales, and then the third one's against Scotland. Yeah. So pretty Uh, pretty good opposition there. Yeah. Yeah, Scotland will be interesting. Yeah. But even Wales, man, they sec- they finished second in the Six Nations. So oh, I'm not saying that Wales is a bad team at all. Just, just yeah, no. what we saw out of Scotland last year. Live yeah, they're an interesting team. In yeah. person was um, a big, interesting game. No, definitely, definitely. We talked we talked about the other South uh, Southern Hemisphere teams, but the Argentinians will definitely be interesting to watch as well. Uh, final game of the round was the Stormers versus the Lions. Uh, a pretty close fought game this one. Another red card in this game. We saw a couple this weekend, and I don't know if that sort of affected affected them late. But um, in the end, the Lions had to score with uh, only a couple minutes to go. They really looked after their rolling ball in this game and won this in a close one, twenty six to twenty three. Yeah, and I think the Lions played it pretty smart in this game. The Stormers weren't quite on, and their their defence was a little bit lacking. Um, and yeah, the Lions seemed to to do what they needed to do in this one to get the win. Um, and as we've seen, it's not easy to win in Cape Town. So Lions, as usual, kind of got back on track since they've been back in South Africa, um, and now have a, a pretty good lead in that conference. So we can, we're going to have to see if the Sex Panthers can actually catch them. I reckon. I reckon the Lions weren't going to win this, but for that red card, I think. I think that made a big difference, and then obviously yellow after that. But the Lions were making really hard work of this at times. The Stormers were doing enough, um, and it, and then it just became that numbers advantage got them back into it. I, I didn't think. I didn't find it com- particularly convincing from either team. So, I don't know. The South Africans still seem to be a little bit inconsistent. They they kind of ebb and flow, but no one's really no one except the Sex Panthers as as hit a high a high point of form and really held it for weeks on end. Yeah, you're right. All four of those teams have kind of fluctuated and probably not what we're used to seeing from the Lions. Um, they've joined, you know, the Bulls, the Sharks and the Stormers of being a bit up and down. And that actually might, you know, that could play into England's hands in terms of international fixtures if South Africa can't be consistent as well because there's just, you know, it's just going to be, you know, yeah, you drop one game and it really puts the pressure on your team and 
if they're not reacting well to that and they're not able to hold on to form, that opens the door for England to sneak a couple of wins in that tour. Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, I think the way it's panned out and the way performances have panned out, this is the right type of selection for this game. All right, now we're going to have a look at our sort of Wallaby squad and our ideal squad. And what do you want to do, Toby? Do you want to take us through our squad and we'll pick we'll pick apart all the mistakes you made? Mate, I'll take you through my squad, which is 30, which I think is a bit too small. Um, I think Checker will probably pick say, 33, 34 players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, it actually means that I have to leave a few guys out that I, I, I actually don't want to leave out. But if I keep it to 30, I have the props. CO Robertson, Alatoa, Kepu, and Tong and Thor there. Um, if we move on to Hooker, we've got BPA, Jordan Ulisi, and I think Damian Fitzpatrick kind of deserves his chance. Well, I'm going gonna, um, gonna to pull you up right there. Why sure. are people saying Damien Fitzpatrick is going to get into the Wallabies? He's not going to get picked for the Wallabies. Uh, look, the guy's a great super rugby player. He's not an international class hooker. Well, I would prefer to see it. I definitely likely, I reckon, to see Tolu Latu getting picked over Damien Fitzpatrick. I just think for this June series that, you know, if these two younger guys in BPA and, and Jordan Ulysi have some to learn from i think fitzpatrick can offer that i'm not necessarily saying he's going to get any game time or any real game time but i think he's his form in super rugby's really warranted his chance in there um he just seems like a guy that's very very much a balanced head um you know technically very good and very good around the field as well and kind of plays above his weight and so i think you know i could easily see checker going tolu latu but I think based on the way that Damien Fitzpatrick has played, I think he might see him, you know, perhaps feature in the squad for this June series and then see Tolu once he's had a bit more game time come into the rugby championship. I think there would have been more contests as well if um, if the Rebels had picked up Nathan Charles and he'd come in and played well maybe four weeks earlier because that's a guy who's king cap for the Wallabies and is kind of off everyone's radar. I think for the right reasons, maybe maybe not now, but uh, let's let's keep an eye on him in case he he steps up and and features maybe later in the year. Yeah, another guy I'd like to see there would be Phil Alfanger. I think it's a little bit too early for him, and I think this probably this red card doesn't do him any favors either. Um, but he's another you know good physical hooker with a you know a decent set piece as well. So I think you know we are we we are poised quite well. In the hooker position, I think in the next, say, three, four years, I think we're going to have some real standouts there. Um, if we move on to locks, now this is a bit of a contentious um, you know, area for the Wallabies, and I think the four key guys for me would be Adam Coleman, Isaac Rodder, Kane Douglas as the veteran, and then Rory Arnold, I think, should be there as well. I don't disagree, but... I, I, until he until he retires, I think I'll always expect Rob Simmons to be given opportunities. And please, how can you say I, this? No, I, no, no, no it's, it's not because I want it. You know, it's not because that's what I want. It's I just I just don't know that they will leave him out. They they seem to have a, a a very 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 soft spot for the soft Rob Simmons, and they they always seem to find a way to put him in. But I agree that the balance of the four you've got there definitely gives you what you need in experience energy, uh, line-out prowess, ball running, 
like the the two Reds guys. I think I think Douglas and Rodder do most of the work on their own. They're, they're both great in the line out. They both run the ball hard. They're both great defenders, um, and they've got enough ball handling skills that they can they can be that sort of linking forward at times if they need to be. Coleman brings some brawn if you don't if you keep the captain's armband off him, which they absolutely will. But he's not going to be the captain of the Wallabies, so he can just focus on his game. And Rory Arnold is another good, strong, hard man. He just needs to maintain discipline. I think they all bring more than Simmons. I just I just don't know if they'll I don't I don't know if they'll be dropping Simmons out. If they drop him now, uh, you'd think that they'd be dropping him for good because this is a a World Cup sort of year, and they they want some guys who've been there before. And him and Kane Douglas are the guys. What says you, Archie? Yeah, similar. Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't have Rory Arnold in there. I'd probably would go and look if they're going to pick Simmons. I'm still impressed by Matt Phillip. I'd like to give him a bit more time. Or I think um, we might see Luke Antui bolt sort of into it, whether that's more as an option in the second row slash over to the back row as well um, as a six. But uh, Yeah, uh, he's abs- first little. Yeah, yeah. That's one Different of the conversation if Hannigan's here. Different conversation if Hannigan's healthy because he's your back row slash second row if you need him. Yeah, but I don't think he, he can't play international lock. He's too small. I think that's the biggest he issue. You wouldn't pick him as a lock, but he could in dire. No, he could cover it. He could cover it if it was you know, if he was off the bench or something. He'd probably slot in. Um, you know, a bit like Scott Fardy or someone like that could um, could do that job. But you know. I think, look, we've got some good locks out there, which is, is really nice to see, but it's it's going to be interesting whether he goes with, say, four or five guys there. Um, with back rowers, I think, obviously, Hooper at captain, that's a certainty. David Pocock, another certainty. And then there's a few guys on the fringes there, um, particularly because we have these injuries to Jack Dempsey and Ned Hannigan. Um, I think Caleb Timu has, you know, he deserves to have a chance there for the Wallabies, whether it's off the bench or starting at six. Um, personally, I think Hooper's going to be at seven and Pocock at eight. I think that's worked before for us, worked in the World Cup. I don't really see any reason why it wouldn't work um, for this series. Um, but in that, we need to be mindful of the line-out. So I think someone like Scott Higginbotham could play six, and then there's also Pete Samu that's now clearly in the frame for Michael Checker. Um, wondering if you guys have any other guys that you'd throw in there. I personally think that it'll end up being Samu will be thrown into six with, like you said, the pooper hanging out there as well. Um, again, sort of, there's not too many other people that I think are going to fit into this sort of more select squad, especially if we're looking at sort of 30 people. Um, Higginbotham, I still sort of question whether it's worth sort of persevering, giving that guy sort of more time. Um, I would have loved to have a fit Valentini to put in. Timu, I think, looks right. I was a bit worried about his sort of movement and maybe he's still a little bit injured in terms of he looked a bit um, susceptible to defense out wide. But the only other person is if... I know Checker always has his man and loves his man is whether he would even go back and pull like Lepetti Tamani in and see if he could um, try and get him sort of motivated again because we have seen him really play well in Wallaby Gold. Yeah, and I, I, I'm on board with your Higginbotham comments. Like, in his in his prime, he's, he's a great player. He's very got a diverse range of skills. He's very unpredictable, and he can, you know, break break the line and do all sorts of 
wicked things, but I just haven't seen that from him. He's been injured. Discipline early in the season was you know, obviously got him that red card. Like, I, th- I think he's I think he's too much of a wild card to throw into that mix. I don't know where he belongs. He he wouldn't be starting maybe off the bench, but I think I'd just leave him. I think I'd have to leave him out. I'd pick those same guys, but I think somewhere in there, maybe it's not a very exciting pick, but I think there's room for one of our uh, kind of interchange, slightly interchangeable blonde back rowers between the guys like Cusack and Cottrell and handsome Scott Young. Um, all those guys bring something, and they're, they're they're actually quite proficient in lineouts and in malls. Um, I don't think any of them are, are, are weak in their scrummaging. So they're, they're, they're more of a, a toiler. Like, people are going to target Hooper and Pocock. They know what those guys are. These other guys um, bring a high work rate and some, some really good fundamentals. And I think there's room for someone in there, even, even if it is more of the bolter development player, uh, unless Timu's got that picked up already. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I'd, if I had to pick one, it's probably, probably Angus Scott Young. The handsome Scott Young. Handsome Scott Young. I was just going to say, we've, we've talked about that between ourselves and just calling him Handsome Scott Young, but I don't think we've said it on the podcast before. I agree, though. I think he's got a lot of a lot of potential. Um, whether whether it's this year, I think he, he might not quite be there in experience-wise, but I think he's definitely one for the future as well. Um, Toby, let, let's hit, move on to the backs. Who you got, man? Mate, Danny is starting, obviously, if he's fit. And then give me Jake Gordon on the bench. He's got yes. try-scoring ability. He's got a great pass. He's a smart footballer. I want him there. And I probably, look, I'm going to have to leave Phipps out for now. I think he'll probably be there and check his squad. Um, but please, please don't pick Michael Ruru. He's just not ready. You know, this is, you know, you've got people in the media talking him up. I, I think he's a fine scrum half at Super Rugby level. But he does. He hasn't had the game time there. I think for the Wallabies, he's not going to be a factor, and I, I think he's going to waste the spot if we put him in there. So, you know, Genia and Gordon, and then perhaps Phipps if, if you're desperate. But these two should do the job. If we go at fly half, Bernard Foley obviously is starting. We know that. Another guy I'd like to see there as a development player. It's a big call perhaps, but Hamish Stewart has impressed me both in its attack and defence. And I think he could, um, you know, he could offer a lot just being around the squad, learning a lot from Bernard Foley and just being a bit of a backup in case Foley gets an injury. Yeah, agreed. I think that's definitely a, a sensible thing. I'd much prefer to have um, a backup straight at 10 rather than shuffling people in and out of position. I think you would still end up finding Beale um, moving into 10 if Foley did go down. Uh the other thing that we were talking up Quaid a couple of weeks ago, but he has done an MCL tear and is now not eligible to be picked for this squad either. Yeah, and that'll probably rule him out for <clears throat> most of the international season, I think. So this is probably the last we're going to see of Quaid this year in football altogether. Um, and it may actually lead, I would say, to him signing in Europe um, because he was probably hoping for a call from the Wallabies this year, but he's just not going to be ready. So... It's a bit of a shame for him, but, you know, it probably doesn't pay too well to hold out from these other Super Rugby teams that were perhaps interested. So what can you do with that one? Moving on to the centres, I think, look, KB at 12. I've made my case for TK at 13. 
And then you've got guys, obviously, like Samu Karevi, who will definitely be there. And at another centre, you could argue that Hodge would fall into that category, but I've got Curtis Rona there. Um, does anyone else have any additions to that group? I think in a, in a squad of 30, that's pretty much... That's that's what you have to do. Pick pick some more established guys. We've all been there. All have good basics, good fundamentals. Should be able to hold their own. Um, I, I really, I, I'd love to see Karevi in there somewhere because I just think he's a bit more exciting, a bit more of a game breaker than than TK. But um, like we yeah, we've, we've talked that one to death. It'll, mm. it'll be whatever Checker thinks gives us the best uh, chance against whatever Ireland's putting there in the middle. If they if they are worried about big rumbling Irish backs and, and people running hard through those channels, then maybe the defence will be prioritised over the attack to make sure we don't get down early and, and um, have to fight back into every game. Yeah, I, I was talking to Toby a bit about this last night and I think just Czech is going to go with experience straight up. So we've talked about these other guys, but I think you'll, you'll see TK starting um, at least the first test. Uh, he just trusts him and to take down some of those big... Irish outside backs like Stockdale and such that have had such successful Six Nations tours um, that he'll he'll end up starting with TK. I think the the last guy that probably could get mentioned or could get named there in the squad would be Billy Meeks um, as a backup at the 12 position. I don't necessarily think that he deserves to be there based on his, you know, a bit of an up-and-down form, and he, he hasn't really held that starting spot for the Rebels at all. Um but, you know, Checker seems to like him, so I think he's worth a mention there. Um, in terms of outside backs, I've only got five of them. There's probably a lot more that could be named. Mm. Um, but Falau, um, DHP, Reese Hodge, Corabidi, and Jack Maddox. And I, I want to give a shout-out quickly. I know you guys are probably going to talk about him. Naya Avoro, and I think also Tom Banks, based on his you know last few weeks of performances as well. Yeah, how can how can you leave those guys out? <laughs> like they've just been. That's the thing. Thirty men. Yeah, it's hard. Banks has been so good, and he's. I don't. I guess there's not like a position for him right now on that team, unless he could be sort of a, a winger. Um, but it's really hard leaving him out after what he's been doing. The same with to Kelly. Like, God, it's very hard leaving him out and. I think you will see Corabini on one wing and then you'll see either sort of Hodge or DHP on the other um, just because we need an extra sort of kicking option at the back because we know Falau's not quite sort of that kicking fullback. So it hurts someone like to Kelly's chances because they're not going to put um, him, Corabini and Falau as you back through. Yeah, and that's right. The the versatility of guys in that group of five you've picked is, is key. It's like... You don't want to pick every, all jack of all trades kind of guys. You want specialists, and you know your Corbett is a specialist. I don't think Falau is necessarily a specialist, but he's he's certainly in attack. He's he's great out of the back three, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that worried about seeing him on the wing. Um, but then DHP's got flexibility. Hodge has flexibility. Maddox has flexibility. You can't really put to Kelly at fullback, and Banks probably doesn't have a point of difference if he's a fullback or wing compared to some of those other guys. So you're really just picking more of the same. Um, would be nice to give him an opportunity. Maybe the squad's bigger than 30 and those guys get a chance to run around and just be involved um, just just to get a sense of what it feels like and, and a bit of a carrot for the next next tour, next squad. But uh, those, those five are the closest to your incumbents with 
um, Maddox as a bolter, and I think the the clear the clear choice is a bolter in that in that back three group. Yeah, definitely. Well, that rounds it out, and I think look, look it's going to be a tough you know task for Checker to pick thirty guys. I think, like I said, I think he's going to pick a few more than that, and perhaps narrow it down towards the rugby championship. But there's a lot of good guys there, particularly in the backs. Um, there's just a few key positions we need to shore up. We need to make sure that these guys step up at hooker and then also maybe at number six. But I think apart from that, we're looking pretty solid. So, you know, it's going to be a tough ask against the Irish, but I think, you know, if we play well, we can definitely win that series. Yeah, and with all the questions that have been posed of Australian Super Rugby teams, our Wallaby team still looks very, very strong. Um Look, by the time this podcast comes out, the squad will probably be announced, so you can pick it up and have a look and see how we did, whether we, we've picked all the names that um, are going to show up in there and picked our, our bolters for it. Uh, but for now, let's look at this last round of Super Rugby fo- before the break. Round 16. And none of the South African Conference or the Haguar is um, playing this round, so a little bit of a shorter round. Um, starting on Friday night, the Highlanders return home and take on the Hurricanes coming out of Forsyth Park. Yeah, mate, this is um, this is going to be still a pretty epic clash, I think. And if the Canes aren't on their game, the Highlanders do have a pretty big chance in this one, I think. Um, something tells me, though, I mean, this is going to be, you know, this won't be affected by weather being down in Dunedin. So they'll have the roof on. Um, and look, I think the Canes will bounce back from a loss to the Crusaders. So... I'm going to take them, and I don't know. I, I think, look, the, the Highlanders had a bit of a tough tour, um, but they managed to get that win against the Reds. So one from two isn't too bad, um, even though they were the team that, you know, broke the streak for those Kiwi teams. But, yeah, I think the Hurricanes have a bit too much class here. Yep, keeping it simple, dry track, roof on. I think the Hurricanes are 1-15 to 15 better than the Highlanders. So I'm, I'm going Hurricanes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You think TJ's better than Aaron Smith and Ben Smith's better than Geordie Barrett? 1 to 15, whole. Not, oh, okay, not I thought you one meant to 1 to 1, like each matchup. And I was like, geez. Okay. No, 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 no. 1 to 15, Hurricanes, more class. I was like, that's a big Highlanders call. Highlanders have a few holes. <laughs> All right. Um, and they'll, yeah. be, they'll be angry and determined. That's true. That's true. Yeah, Hurricanes for me as well. Sweep it. Uh, next game is on Saturday afternoon, coming out of Eden Park. The Blues take on the Rebels. And I have the Blues in this one. And I'm going against the trend, but the I reckon the the Blues, unless the unless the dreaded buy uh, plays a role as it seems to have played for a lot of teams this year, I think the Blues will be rested and ready. They're they're getting back towards uh, full health, and it's at their it's at their home ground in Auckland, and and the Rebels are a bit on the rise, but I I don't think I back them to have the all the composure they need to go to New Zealand and beat a team. Remember, we did just get over a streak of forty-something games. I'm, I'm, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think we've just started an Australian streak. I think we need to temper it a bit here. I think the home teams probably got my vote. Yeah, well, for me, they were. I was, as I said, I was starting out the finals, and I believe the Rebels can make it. It's really a hot race between them and the Sharks, um, and all they they need to win two out of their last four games to get into it, and. I just see this as one of the games they can try and take the four points home from. Um, I know it's it's going to be difficult going into um, Eden Park any anywhere in New Zealand, 
but Australian teams have shown in the last couple of rounds that we can play well in New Zealand, we can score points, and if the Rebels take that confidence out of the win versus Sunwolves, I reckon they play similarly to the Blues in a lot of ways, um, and I think if they can string it together and frustrate some of those um, Blues outside backs, then they should be able to take a win. Yeah, and I think that the Blues are going to be a massive test here, but you know, the way the Rebels played on the weekend gave me a lot of confidence towards them. And I think, you know, even though Sonny Bill Williams is back, obviously, and Pulu's there, the Blues still have have the tendency to go a bit rogue at times. I think the Rebels can keep it together mm-hmm. and, and be a bit more level-headed. Um, but I think this one will be extremely close. I'm going to take the Rebels. Um, but, yeah, look, I think the Blues really, you just don't know which team you're going to get week to week. So the Rebels are going to really have to be on their game here. Saturday evening, next round, um, and the Chiefs lining up against the Crusaders coming out of Waikato. Um, And for me, I think this is probably no question. We saw the Chiefs struggle a little bit, and the Crusaders, clinical as always, the Crusaders are going to take this one. Yeah, look, Arch, I agree with you. Um, I think, again, it's going to be a pretty entertaining game. Um, But the Crusaders, I think, will keep on rolling. Um, They may welcome back Crotty. They may welcome back Kieran Reid at some point, but I don't know if it's going to be this week. Um, the Chiefs will be a challenge, but yeah, the Crusaders um, should get this one done, and I think they'll just—I think it'll be up to maybe nine wins in a row now. So they're a, they're a classy team, and I don't think the the Chiefs have enough to to get over the top of them. Sweep it. <laughs> Actually, Crusaders already on nine wins, so this will be number ten for them, which I think um, be. Almost equaling what the Hurricanes went on before they got broken by the Crusaders. Um, Very nice. Next game out is the Reds versus the Waratahs coming out of Suncorp in Brisbane. And yeah, both teams obviously suffered close defeats last week. Uh, what's going to happen? Yeah, look, I think Tars will be disappointed after a few games they could have won. But I think the Reds, you know... The, the Tars in this one should have too many points for them. It's going to be a brutally physical affair. Um, there is a chance that if the Reds can really muscle up and and um, physically dominate the Tars, um, there could be a bit of you know a bit of a chance there for the Reds if they can kind of stop their attack. But you know, with the Tars mobile back row, you could see late in this game that the, some of the Reds forwards get a bit tired. Um, I just think the the Tars backline is just far too good for this Reds backline that's still not quite firing. So I'm going to back the Tars attack through their backs to be able to to combat that really physical defense that the Reds bring. But I, I think it's going to be a great clash. I, I might at the last moment change my tip. I would like rugby to be the winner in this game because I don't want either team Ooh. to suffer injuries. I, I'm going to tip the Waratahs, obviously, home team. I think they've got the... I just think they've got a bit more in the backs, a bit more points in them. Waratahs are I the don't want these... team. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, so, but my but my team, as oh, opposed okay. to... Yeah. So, I just I just don't want them to come out and bruise and batter each other. Come out and... and you they know, will. They I'm will. sure they will. They always do. This is the thing. Like, they always seem to want to sort of make it as physical as possible rather than, um, you expansive. know, just trying to, yeah, expansive, get expansive. So uh, it's, I, we won't get to see this game, but the as long as, long as they 
both have a good crack. It needs to be want to see a good game of rugby, but I don't want to see them just trying to bruise and batter each other. They've got a job to do the next week or the week after. So um, I think I'll take Waratahs. Yeah, and for me, it's the same uh, Waratahs. Like Toby said, um, you've got the Reds' lowest scoring um, team in the competition versus the Tars, who I think are fifth highest or so. Um, looking back at their history, the Reds haven't beaten the Waratahs in several years now, so they have definitely have the history now. The Tars have the, the momentum going into this game, and I think you're right, their back line will have too many points in them. Last game of the round, and it's Sunday afternoon in Canberra. The Brumbies returning home um, versus the Sunwolves team that Jamie Joseph has actually called even more of that squad back for international prep. So a very underpowered Sunwolves team, I think. Yeah, and Brumbies at home, Sunday Arvo, that's a, that's a recipe for a home team victory. I, I don't think the Sunwolves will be able to do enough in this one. Long travel, Brumbies comfortable at home. I, I'm thinking this is... As long as they, they play with the attack and the intent they did last week after their tour, uh, this this should be a decent margin, probably in the 15-point sort of range. Yeah, I think, look, the Brumbies showed what they can do overseas. Um, I want them to bring it back. I'm sure with that win, they will have a GIO stadium that's um, pumping and getting a lot of the local fans back in, keen to see their boys come out and put some points on. So... Let's have a fast sort of running rugby game. Um, but I reckon Brumby's taken it. I reckon it'll be a good one to watch. Yeah, I think it'll be quite an open game. And I think I would be probably tipping the, the Brumbies by a higher margin if they weren't having to travel back from South Africa. At least it is on a Sunday afternoon, so they have a bit more time to prepare. Um, but yeah, Sunwolves, I think, you know, that kind of, you know, two-game winning streak they had going on, it's probably not going to be anywhere close to that. I think the play, they've been at their best probably in previous weeks. I don't think they're going to be able to bring that again. Um, the Brumbies look like the pressure's off. They're ready to play some football. And, you know, even though the Wallabies squad would have been selected by the time they play, I think there'll be some guys that perhaps are left out and they're looking to prove themselves um, for the upcoming, you know, international series in the rugby championship. So, look, Plenty, plenty to watch here. I think the Brumbies will get another win, which is good to see. Um, and yeah, hopefully they can just continue to to bring some young guys through and and build for next season. That's it from us, guys. That's the whole round. Um, as always, you should follow us and get onto us in social media. We're at Running Rugby Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter at, at Running Rugby Pod. Um, subscribe and like us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, just to let you know, uh, Leo alluded to a little bit earlier, we we probably um, won't be around next week. Uh, overseas, us, us three brothers will finally be in the same um, room, so I don't think that we'll be able to have the internet connections to upload another episode, so bit of a hiatus from us but we'll be back after that first wallabies test to deconstruct um that hopefully a victory from the wallabies over the irish again thanks for tuning in guys and until we see you again keep on running run
Oh God, nobody likes me. Mate, I put the eldest ones this. always struggle with technology. And Archie was like, oh, everyone, put in your tips, guys. And I'm like, I'm the only one who put in the tips. <laughs> I was wondering why you were like, what? 